This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. No, we have to talk about this. It's totally natural for you to be curious about sex. Hello, this is Lynn of uh, Lynn and Jen, and uh, today uh, we're doing a sex spot uh, in our Let's Talk About Sex uh, an overall series podcast. And uh, we're really looking forward. We have two areas we're going to focus on today. Uh, one is uh, really our first uh, pioneer series where we spotlight uh, a pioneer in the area of sexuality. So uh, this in today's spotlighted pioneer will be Joni Mitchell. And then Jen is here with me. So welcome, Jen. Hi, Lynn. <laughs> And uh, you also, this is a, a special area this week, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the actors who was discovered or to have had a sexual relationship with a 14-year-old boy. So that's going to be another part of this discussion. Yeah, I think it's important, you know, the idea behind the spotlight is to shine the spotlight on things that aren't talked about as often. I think it's interesting that with all of this stuff coming out in the news and particularly in LA and Hollywood that it's becoming it's becoming spotlighted more in the mm -hmm. mainstream media but i still think we have a lot to contribute in terms of understanding some of the more psychological emotional social connection aspects of what's going on and one thing that's uh, different about this particular case is uh that um it involves a, a boy and a male actor, and the male actor, as many are probably familiar with, and uh, came out kind of officially as being gay, and there was a huge response around all of that. Right. Yeah. So I think let's get started with Joni Mitchell, though. I'm excited to talk about her. I know you were talking about how much she's been sort of a thread through your whole life, and maybe we can start there. Well, not the whole life because the life right. began, but uh, she, like I, um, you know, spent some time living in Canada and she grew up in Saskatchewan, actually, and uh, uh, in Saskatoon, a wonderful uh, town, not far from Calgary and other great Canadian towns. Uh, but uh, what's interesting about her, there's a review of two books, uh, biographies about her life in Atlantic uh, Magazine this month, and they spotlight the fact that uh, on NPR's list of greatest albums ever produced by women, she's listed as number one. And uh, so I decided I was going to read as much as possible about her. I think for me... Uh, her words have always kind of gone through my life, and I thought about it. She has a lot of songs that she sings uh, about Canada, you know, famous songs, actually, and then a song about California that's really well known. And these are places she and I have both lived. And uh, 
I think we've also lived in the emotional landscape of going up, growing up, going up, growing up in the 60s and the 70s. She's about eight years older than I am, but um, she was a role model. Um, she uh, really sang out long before other women did. And the album of hers that I'd encourage everyone to listen to that was featured is Blue, but there are many, many other albums of hers. And her songs kind of, you know, I think of so many different ones, but there's a, a song that isn't that popular called Case of You and is about being in love and being a young person and what's involved with that. And there's so much that she contributed, I think, to women and men everywhere about the female experience. Just before our love got lost, you said, I am as constant as a northern star. And I said, constantly in the darkness, where's that at? If you want me, I'll be in the bar On the back of a cartoon coaster In a blue TV screen light One of the things that's interesting when you start to read interviews of her, and I've read a lot of them, is that she does not define herself as a feminist. Right. You know, and I wondered what your response was to that, Jen, because it's interesting to read a, a woman who's contributed so much to the world and really doesn't define herself that way. Well, I think there's a lot of emotions around it. I think as a feminist that reading about one of your huge role models saying they're not feminist. I think that's very disappointing. I think it's angering. Mm. I think it's frustrating. I think it makes people feel sad. I also kind of understand that from her perspective, she's looking at feminism very differently and that the way she defines feminism is still very much the way people who nowadays are anti-feminist would define feminism. And I thought it was interesting. I'm trying to remember where she said it, but she talked about how for her, feminism, she had a lot of experiences with feminist women who were very aggressive and mean and terrible to her. And she felt that feminism was really just sort of a, a masked version of masculinity in women. And I found that such an interesting way of looking at it, because obviously that's not my definition of feminism. My definition of feminism is really equality, equal opportunity for all genders or for just people. But the way she was looking at it was still in this very rigidly defined way of looking at feminism. Um, I wondered, you know, how you'd see it, um, having lived through the period where she came forward with these ideas in the late 60s and early 70s. I think a lot of women who were successful and independent, and Joni Mitchell is, is one of them. Jane Fonda is another who's spoken out recently in an interview about uh, her views on feminism at that time. Right. And... um I think one of the things that was interesting, one of the first attacks on that age of feminism, and there's different ages of feminism, but in the late 60s, was that these women don't like men. Right. They're negative about men. 
that really don't want to embrace men. And I can remember I had to read a lot in the late 60s to figure out it doesn't really mean you don't like men. It means that you want women to have equal respect and equal opportunity. So it's really about respecting both genders. And uh, that, I think, has become the way. You know, so many years have gone by, you know, 45, 50 years gone by, and we think about it differently now. But at that time, you know, women would staunchly say, you know, I believe that women should be successful, they should have equal opportunity, but not those feminists. So they were really a cutting off of that group. Now, sometime they joined together. Um, I'd like to credit Gloria Steinem and Ms. Magazine was just unbelievably supportive for pushing and joining uh, the groups together. Um, I personally had the opportunity to meet Gloria Steinem, and I know from conversations with her, she was very receptive and open to men, and she still was able to define herself as a feminist. She had an impact on me. I think meeting her, seeing her as a very, a woman with a lot of feminine skills and abilities, and still defining herself as a feminist was so important. Well, I think it's important to have feminist role models. So when you have someone who is behaving in ways that you identify as feminist, and then they don't call themselves a feminist, I think that's very frustrating for a lot of people. And I think that's a big part of what comes to mind for me with Joni Mitchell. I mean, I'm trying to look at this interview. Unfortunately, I don't have the source for it, but I'll post it on our Facebook page, which, by the way, we do have a Facebook page now. And the address for that is, let's see, is www.facebook.talkingsexpod.com. But so I'll go ahead and post that interview here. But what I think is so fascinating is the things that she says really match what feminist women and men say as well. And so she talks about how, you know, women can be more than decorative. Well, that obviously <laughs> is a statement against objectification, you know, yeah. and so that's just one example. She talks about Madonna and how Madonna, you have to ask about who's being exploited and whether or not you know, a, a role model like Madonna, you know, she's in charge of her sexuality, but she's also, is she behaving in this way because she's learned that that's how she needs to survive in this type of environment? And so those are questions, I think, or discussions that you have in a feminist frame. And so it's very interesting to read about, you know, just these different interviews and how she talks about these experiences that feminist identified women do talk about. And yet, somehow that particular word for her seems to be very off-putting. Yes. And I think, as we just talked about earlier, it comes from that period. There are, for our listeners out there, um, two new biographies. There's Joni the Anthology, and there's Reckless Daughter, a portrait of Joni Mitchell by David Yaffe. And both of those are available, uh, you know, to be read, and they were reviewed in the article uh, by Jack Hamilton in Atlantic Magazine. In addition, I spent, I was joking with you, I was up till 10.30 last night reading everything about her in Wikipedia. I found it fascinating. And one of the reasons 
that I think she's an important pioneer for men and women is that she reformed, reshaped herself creatively, you know, year after year, decade after decade, giving to the music and the art world. You know, she painted, she was involved in jazz, close to Mingus, to Miles Davis, incredible artist. Uh, as she reshaped her work over time. She went on personal journeys with her albums. Uh, you know, so some are more appealing, I think, to, uh, to women who were on personal journeys. And there, it's really important uh, to look at her lifespan uh, through her 70s and look at that creativity. Um, she started out as a, a young child and teenager, and the books don't refer to this having polio. And then she, after the episode with polio, she had to move away from a more kind of athletic career. And this is still as a, you know, child teen. And she ended up teaching herself how to play the guitar in new, different, and unique ways. And I think so many creative people have a period of reflection in childhood that is brought on often by a challenge. I agree. And I think that that's a perfect example. I think what's so inspiring about that, it reminds me a little bit of Frida Kahlo. But it it's this idea that from your pain, if you open that up, that can be a source of creativity and it can be a source of connection with other people. Because one thing that really struck me always about Joni Mitchell was that her ability to get so vulnerable, her ability to open up into the pain, into the joys, into the frustrations, it really makes you feel a connection with her, like she gets you. And she talked about it. She called herself the scientist of love. And I think that's so powerful because that really is a big part of what she was exploring was the different experiences, the pain of heartbreak, the pain of having to give up your child for adoption, which is another, you know, experience that challenge that she had to go through as a, I think she was a teen at the time. Right? Oh, early 20s. Okay. But, uh, you know, what's so important, she is... She's an explorer in the area of emotions. Right. And so she's not unlike you and I. We try to help others explore their lives in these areas. Maybe that's why I remember Case of You, because at the age that I heard it in my late teens, early 20s, it's about romance and emotions. And it really hit me. You know, yeah. she connected with me at that point in my life. It was really, really very important. So I think... Even today, her songs ring true. You know, she has great ability to use both words and all to, and music chords, you know, all kinds of conventions. Well, it's a whole picture. I mean, yes. and, and that's the thing is that emotions aren't just about words. Words are important, but they're really feelings. There's the depth. And I think art gives light to that. I think art is a voice for that. And sometimes people who have a hard time using their words... They can really relate to some chords that they felt, and then they're able to kind of find words, or they're at least able to connect to that experience. And I want to add something, too, in terms of what really inspires me about Joni Mitchell, is that at a time when it was very hard to break from convention, she really believed in herself, and she trusted her instincts. I mean, I was reading about how with her first husband, whose last name she kept, I can't remember his first name, but... Mr. Mitchell, she had written 
her one of her songs that was very open and after reading this book that he had given her and he had dismissed it and really just been very critical and negative and instead of sort of going with what he thought and saying okay well i should just you know crumple this up and throw it away at so many different points in her life from what i've read about her and what i know about her she had these males telling her without saying it in this way but really like this is not how we do it in this world in this masculine world and you need to fall in line she really bucked that tradition and i think it was hard for her but she had the courage of the conviction the conviction mm -hmm. to follow that and because of that we have this amazing anthology of all her music and i think her creativity really helped her there because i think if women can focus on their own work and developing their own body of opinions and work through their lifetime. You know, that gives a real strength. And she talks about in the interviews how that helped her grow and oppose Bob Dylan, you know, for one. I right. mean, there are many other singers, the uh, owners of record labels, just the path that she wove that was really very different and unique, but it was her own. You know, she claimed own. her own. And that's why I, I think for all the women out there and for men, too, she's a pioneer, really, in this area of being a person. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, we're on to the next area here. And, uh, you know, after our pioneer, we're going to talk about, and this is kind of follow up to everything we're dealing with around the Weinstein category. But you know, we want our listeners to not be overwhelmed by this area, so we'll stay briefly only on this topic, and maybe you lead off with it, Jen. Sure. Well, I mean, so what we're talking about is that the actor Anthony Rapp came out saying that Kevin Spacey made a sexual advance towards him when he was 14, and I think it's one, there are a couple things that really strike me about this. One is that he waited so long, and he specifically goes into why he waited so long. And I think that's so powerful being able to give voice to what it is that happens that keeps people silent for so long. And I think it's really powerful too, because it was really built on, as you were talking about the Weinstein and the hashtag me too, and women coming out and talking about the sexual harassment that they were experiencing. And I think a lot of men felt left out of that. And I think it's really wonderful that a, a man like actor Anthony Rapp, who has some stardom, is using that voice to also give voice to all the men who have experienced sexual harassment or even sexual advances towards them. And he specifically named that it was women speaking out that inspired him to really come out with it. And so I think it's so powerful in terms of how we need to have those role models and we have to show that shining a spotlight really is the way out of this darkness. And cross-gender role right. modeling, right. where women lead the way 
so that others can speak out really in this important area. And that's what's happening with this. So I think it's really, really key. You mentioned the lengthy, the long amount of time he waited, you know, the plus 20 years really before he spoke out, maybe close to 30. And um, one of the studies that I did on men and sexual abuse uh, actually showed that men on average wait about 20 years before they disclose their sexual abuse. I, I think, again, you know, there are really, it's hard for men to talk about it. We run into what a man is supposed to be, and men are not supposed to be in that position. Right. Um, so that I think men who are speaking out now about this need a lot of support. Then question I have is what's your reaction to what the actor said when oh, Kevin he spoke Spacey's out? Yeah, because I think, yeah. you know, certainly there's psychological aspects to that. And, you know, the press is focusing a lot on that, too. Yeah, let me pull it up here if I can find exactly what it was. First off, he sent a tweet. So... From what I remember, at least, at least what Kevin Spacey said was essentially that, you know, he doesn't remember that this happened and that, you know, if it did, he owes Anthony Rapp an apology. But then he also used it as an opportunity to come out. That quote you were looking for that uh, Spacey sent out on Twitter is that uh, he did not remember the encounter with Rap and is directly quoted. But if I did behave then as he describes, I owe him the sincerest apology for what would have been deeply inappropriate drunken behavior. And then he goes on to say, and this is the part I think people are reacting to, um, the story has encouraged me to address other things about my life. I know that there are other stories out there about me and that some have been fueled by the fact that I've been so protective of my privacy. I now choose to live as a gay man. End of uh, quote. Right. And I think that's exactly what's bothering people is, why is this the moment that he's choosing to come out as a gay man? It makes it seem like his behavior is connected to being gay. And I think that shines a really terrible image of of a gay man and a gay role model if he is one and so i think it's really bothering people that that's included as part of this so-called apology i i couldn't agree with you more because i think the point that spacey misses here is uh that mr rap was a child at that time and uh you know whether or not alcohol was involved in the activity, it involves really abuse of a child. Right. And, uh, it, 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 you know, he might have said that no one should ever, you know, abuse a child. And I'm sorry that I did that, you know, if, if I did that, that kind of thing. But I agree with you about then to focus it on being gay. It's as if that normalizes the behavior which we all know uh, that, uh, or maybe we don't all know, but it's important to say that there are not higher rates of abuse of of boys among gay men. This is a mistaken, really, notion, a myth, but it's sometimes assumed to be true. 
Well, there's one thing I have to add there, which may seem more controversial. It's something I talked about with my husband, which is that among the older gay community, at that time, you really had to be very closeted. You had to hide yourself. There wasn't an open, welcoming community for you necessarily. And a lot of the times, the older men ended up being role models. And so a lot of um, sort of sexually awakened teens would go seek out these older role models. And so sometimes they wouldn't necessarily engage in these sexual relationships, but that what we were talking about was in some ways that expectation for Kevin Spacey would not have been, that expectation for Kevin Spacey would not have been maybe as controversial in compared to how things are now, that there is more of a community. And so that doesn't excuse his behavior by any means, but I think it's important to consider the cultural context of that and that certainly with a 14-year-old, not appropriate. If you're looking at kind of how the culture was at that time, though, there were a lot of teens kind of seeking somebody that they could relate to. And I think that they would engage in these different relationships. And having talked to older gay men, they've talked about that, where a lot of times they didn't feel they had peers or they didn't know they had peers. And so a lot of their learning came from engagements with older men. Historically, Jen, that's certainly true. Right. The issue that I have with this particular situation is that it involves consent. Right. And this wasn't there was no consent as a young, you know, questioning uh, gay man seeking out uh, sexual information and guidance, you know, uh, or even sexual experience. It was really about, as described by Mr. Rapp, you know, somebody inflicting his body an adult body on a child body. And that, that again, you know, I agree with you historically about that culture. I agree with you that Mr. Spacey could even be quiet about this because of all of the prohibitions. But I think that area of consent even years ago was still there that you don't violate another person in that way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's we just brought it up in the in the sense that I think it's very interesting because it's an actually an opportunity for Kevin Spacey to call out that kind of behavior and to say, "Okay, I know that this there's kind of this historical context in the gay community and it really needs to stop and it leads to problems like this." And so that's more kind of the angle that me and my husband were talking about is that he really didn't use this opportunity to shine a spotlight on that behavior. And instead, he used it as a weird sort of coming out strategy and and also deflecting. a defense and a defense. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing. You know, I, I, if he had shined a spotlight and said, you know, a lot of things are hidden, and I'm very sorry if I did this, and I have no memory of that. That that may be true. You know, right. where do these memories go? That's for another podcast. But really talking about it in a more open way would have been important. Exactly. And I think yeah. so that's, that's part of the frustration there, too, is that, you know, this was a chance to have a dialogue. And because he's got, he's so well known, I mean, people know his name he really could have used that to educate and denounce this type of behavior, and he really didn't. 
Yeah, and maybe we had hopes that he would. I mean, there are many that admire, you know, the roles he's taken, other things he's done. So this is a really uh, a sad thing for those of us who know him and listen to this. I think the other things mm-hmm. to point out, too, are that, you know, Anthony's rap's experience are not unique in the sense that he was really confused about what happened to him because he hadn't come out yet to his mother. He wasn't able to talk to his mother about what happened. And so he really felt very alone in it. And I think you see that, I think what is so hard about abuse, I mean, there's so many things, but one of the particularly hard things, challenges of being a victim of abuse is that it it doesn't just go away, you know? So the other person kind of moves on with their life and it's done and whatever, and and these scars are there and it's hard to know how to heal from them. And a lot of times because there's so much of the shame, particularly as a man who has experienced abuse, then you feel so alone. And even when you do come out about it, it makes people very uncomfortable. And so then there's sort of that pushback again of shoving you back into the box, even though you maybe do want to try to talk about it. And thinking about positive things, because we're trying to focus this part of our podcast on positive things, too. I think men who have experienced abuse can obtain therapy. There is good therapy available. It really does help those who have been abused, particularly as children, adolescents, even to go in adulthood and talk about these things. Maybe you're being triggered by raising your own children. There's a range of all triggering throughout life when you have experienced abuse. So I think it's very, very important that we talk about this, particularly with men and with women. And I think, honestly, I can't say because there aren't the numbers, but I would wager that if you had a Me Too movement like that for the men, I think people would see that the numbers are actually much, much higher than are reported And it's hard, too, because the way we define abuse, in a way, it also excludes the experiences of a lot of men. And so by changing the language and asking about what is happening to them, I think it makes a big difference. And I think, too, one of the things that Anthony Rapp brings up is you really need an infrastructure that allows for people to come forward with what they're going through and have that be accepted and trusted and believed. And women obviously experience this in great numbers. But in this case, it's actually even harder, I think, in some ways for for men to come forward because there is this belief that they can't be sexually abused by a woman and so or a man in the same way. And so one of the things that really struck me about the article was that, you know, Rap did go to a lawyer and Eventually, yes, you know, he, he, did. he did reach out to a lawyer and the lawyer told him there was no case worth pursuing. And so there really was no infrastructure in place to help him with that. And I think that ends up having more men and women suffering in silence. Well, and, you know, we are not going to spend a lot of time talking about what makes a legal case and sexual abuse. But uh, again, you know, many people feel alone. Abuse, sexual abuse often happens, and it's your would be your word against the word of another person. And that makes it 
a struggle, really, you know, to understand that and to speak out. So talking about places where voices can be heard, looking at other things, the history of individuals who do abuse, that helps, that's supportive. There's a lot of other things. But speaking out is very important because, especially if you go to the police, because a record is then taken and those are compiled and used, not perfectly. You know, but they do, it makes a difference to speak out. It really does for yourself and for everyone else. And I think that's a good place to end on a positive note there that, yeah, really speaking out is not easy, but it does make a difference and it makes a difference for yourself personally, but also for preventing other people from being abused. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. Come on. Let's talk about